This episode of Cinema Gush has been brought to you by the reason why you suck speech trope. Look, we all have that person in our lives who desperately needs a dressing down in the form of word vomit, and for that, you can always look to the reason why you suck speech. Whether it's your best friend who can't plainly see why the person who they're madly in love with is perfect for them, or for the coworker who stole your lunch for the umpteenth time, Mark. <sighs> You can always take a breath and know that you can give that person a very clear, on-the-nose, fatal flaw-filled diatribe about why they suck. Please do not use the reason why you suck speech if you value your friendships, career, or ability to be seen as an upstanding citizen in the community. The reason why you suck speech. No matter how much it hurts, there's always a shred of truth to be had. Welcome back, everybody. We are here at Cinema Gush, ready to talk about another movie that we love. Today we have a guest that we're very excited about, and a movie that equally excited about. This is a movie I have not seen since I was like six or seven years old, and it was a treat and a half to watch again. Today, we are talking about Hook. Hook. That was good. I think we even said it at the same time. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, today we are joined by Mr. Kyle P. Peterson, who we, I co-wrote and directed Long Walks on the Beach with. I can actually say that you are a uh, award-winning filmmaker, Kyle. How does that feel? <laughs> it feels amazing. How does it feel to be my fellow award-winning filmmaker? It feels just as excellent. And I'm just in, in awe to be in your guys' presence. Just so you oh, know. Aww. <laughs> We're you like can't... Tarantino, and you're a fanboy, the comic book guy from Simpsons. Oh, I was just about to say, you can't get fans too early. Like, yeah. you know, just go to our heads. <laughs> oh, gosh. Be sure to like and subscribe. Oh, well. Uh, anyway, we're going to talk about bell. Hook today. That's right. Smash the bell. Uh, we're talking about Hook, which is, you know, Rob Williams, Dustin Hoffman, Julia Roberts, and of all people, Gwyneth Paltrow, which I was surprised by on my rewatch. But Kyle. Oh, hold on. You forgot, you... Oh. you forgot somebody. Steven Spielberg. <laughs> yeah, but he he kind of wishes that we forgot that he y- yes, Kyle, yes. Okay, that's a, that's an interesting just, point. Let's just to let, jump right into. I think we should just let yeah. the gush happen. Yeah, tell us why you love this movie, baby. There's too many reasons, but we're going <laughs> to try and get into as many of them as you can like stay conscious for. Oh, uh, cuz so I'll excited. just go off the reservation here. Um why like when nick approached me about like doing the show with you guys and like this is what gush actually is um it's i kind of don't get why this movie got flack when it was released because it was like 1991 Mm -hmm. um so i was like five years old aladdin came out in the same year so i was there to see that voice actor be peter pan and that was it I was like, I'm, I'm in. This is Steven Spielberg. What, what am I going to not like? He made E.T. and Close Encounters of the Third Kind. But for some reason, this got panned by critics, and I can't figure it out. And you know how you watch a movie in your childhood, and then you get the adult eyes later. It's, it's like a whole different thing. This is still a solid movie. Yeah. Like, I, I really don't see the point in trying to go back and rehash what it is everyone was disappointed by. Because, uh, like, everything is of a very high quality. And there's even movies after this that are influenced by it. And I'm like, you can't, can't yeah. try and cheat the tenaciousness of this decades later sequel. It's kind of like Last Jedi, you know? Like, mm-hmm. where there's this beloved, iconic hero. And then X amount of years later in their lifetime, they're just not that person. Like, I wondered if that was it. Like, if... If Peter Pan was getting the 
Luke as an old man, I hate the force kind of wanton Jedi type of deal. <laughs> Hold on. Have, have we gone an episode without talking about the last Jedi yet? I think that is literally six in a row. <laughs> like including our, yes, including our original, our, our, you know, the one we just dropped on Thanksgiving. Yeah. I think we we're, we're a big Ryan Johnson fanboys, and oh, yeah. we both love the last Jedi. Brendan. Yeah. So, I mean, yeah. We have yeah. to bring it up. It's that's, this a, that's m- amazing <laughs> parallel. I never would have picked up on, but I think you're right there. I think that's mm-hmm. probably what it is. So I was like rewatching this yesterday i think and that was like the first thing i noticed i was like every character is on a very coherent logical path that is still surprising and i wonder if that's just something audiences just don't like they're just like you know superman has to be man of steel forever and that's it but peter pan here (laughs) goes on to become uh the most conflicted and worthless presented father on screen for a family <laughs> comedy. And we kind of know that like with Steven Spielberg movies, that's one of his main like theme tropes is just to do um, like fatherhood as like a theme or uh, the absent father. Mm-hmm. Peter Pan as a dad is like borderline alcoholic. Like it's talked about in the movie, but we don't actually like see it um, where he just gets belligerent. But he is unhinged and has so many real life fears based off of his childhood adventures that he's just completely blacked out. Like he, he has afraid of heights. Uh, he hates, gosh, why is everything that he hates? You know, it's like, it's a pretty complex, like, well, maybe he does. Like, how could you not? He stands like that with hands on his hips every chance he can get in the scene. Like, I don't know if that's written in there for just a character choice, but every time someone says his name from like the other room, he whips around into this pose, looking cockeyed over one shoulder, you know, just like, yes, I'm Peter. And I'm like, oh, so, so some things you never do forget. This is amazing. Um, but that's the real grainy Wendy. And there's also this like, Okay, well, what do you guys think on, on like, the, the terms of reality as far as, like, the Neverland goes? It's really, fa- it's really fascinating because it's one of those things where you have the opening shot of the movie is, you know, they're watching the daughter in the play who, I mean, she's playing Wendy, and then she even hints later on, I was playing you in the school play. So I wonder if this is, like, ultra meta, but it has to imply that like it has to imply like that. Well, is it our world where Peter Pan is for sure fictitious, or like is there some implication that like yeah, it actually did occur, or maybe that was a real story that changed over time? It's a very interesting thing. Brendan, your thoughts? I I got to be honest. I didn't think there was any other way to interpret it. I just took these events as as, as a given. The way the characters all react to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I was struck at that opening scene that we start pretty in media res where we're just like, we're there and this is what's happening. And, and it, they presume that you figure out pretty quick who Peter Banning is without ever spelling it out for you. Right. It's, it's the way his name is pronounced really quick by some yeah. of the cast. They'll say Peter Banning and mm-hmm. you're like, Panning. I get it. Oh yeah. Oh, I figured it out. And I didn't notice the B <laughs> until like halfway through the movie. I thought they were saying Peter Panning. I yeah, I had to look it up on like IMDb. I'm like, is it panning or banning? And it's banning. And I'm mm-hmm. like, that's such a weird slip of the tongue. But there's a lot of those in this movie. But this that's like this mm-hmm. re- like Nick was saying, like a meta, like super on the nose. Sure. Uh, Granny Wendy, I was you in a play. And it's like you kind of think like 
that's just something a little girl would say, you know, proud of herself yeah. with an mm-hmm. after school special, but she's telling the absolute truth. And Granny Wendy's like, <clears throat> yep, yep, yep. So no relation, <laughs> no relation to my uh, life and childhood. <laughs> And, and she doesn't try to hide it too much, too, because when she finally has that scene where she's like, the stories are true, it really is you, and he starts getting dismissive and calling for his wife, you can hear her say, I've tried telling you this so many times before, and you always do the same thing. And she was totally 56 she was years old, 56, and she looks the same as an 85-year-old woman now. It blows my mind. This movie is, like, monumental to my childhood. It mm-hmm. is, like, staked in there. I'm like that's uh, my love for this isn't going anywhere. I think it was Harry Potter five, and I'm watching Maggie Smith as Minerva Gonagall, and I'm like, hold on a second. It took you five movies seriously. To that <laughs> I knew it was her, but it was at that point in the Harry Potter series. I was like, she's the same age. There's no way yeah. she looks in Hook the exact same way she does in Harry Potter like now uh, when those movies were being filmed in like the last 15 20 years and Pan is or Hook sorry because <laughs> there's a bunch of Peter Pan movies but mm-hmm. Hook is almost 30 years old oh and gosh. it blew my mind that she nails the performance of being a old you know sun is setting on your back uh, he, past hero of the day type mm-hmm. of thing. Like, she's not old at all as, like, real-time actress, like, you know, in that, sure. when they were filming yeah. that thing. But she acts like a very brittle grandmother who you're like, don't, please, just be careful. She's playing older than she is, to be sure. It never would have occurred to me she was 50-something. Oh, like yeah. Mm-hmm. It's, it's insane. Like, logical um, evolution of a character for Wendy in terms of Hook, is that because of her past experiences from like the book story of Peter Pan, she goes on to do this awesome uh, foster children program for like all these kids in London, England, and like I love this award dinner that they take her to, and mm-hmm. just to honor her. And uh, Peter's there. And the audience is just like, are we smarter than these characters? Because that's Peter Pan, right? Like, that's the reason we (laughs) bought a ticket. And we're here, and he's talking about how he was orphaned, but now he's all good. Um, And then, like, the entire audience ends up standing up. It's like, oh, my God, she helped all these people. What a beautiful scene, It's She's touched by it. And to stark contrast this very heartwarming thing that we're just, like, inferred about. We don't really see it. It's just kind of like this is the end reward of a life well lived is hook breaking into their house back at home to kidnap Peter Pan's children. And that is all right. I got to keep it together. I got to keep it together. When just as, just as like a contrast of this, cause she has this total uh, Jedi, something's wrong with the force moment. Um, because it's all we see is windows break in. Um, and I had to rewind this to make sure I was hearing this audio cue right. Uh, the dog, Nana, I don't know if that's the same Nana uh, from the book, but she's barking outside and Toodles is laying on the couch in the living room. And as she's barking, you hear the dog bark stop sounding like a dog about halfway through and it just starts like saying woof. And he wakes up going woof, woof, woof to it. The last dog bark is literally just the word hook. 
And then that's when he changes inside the house to hook. And oh it's the weirdest thing in there. I didn't catch that either. I was just oh. stoked that it was an old English sheepdog. Like I was like, oh, right. Oliver on screen. But she, <laughs> you cool. hear the dog Nana say hook very clearly outside wow. of the doghouse. Um, and, you know, and then it goes bonkers. Like the, the windows break in, their covers are sucked off of their beds uh, and they're screaming and everything like that. Yeah. And then. Uh, Granny Wendy gets the force rocked through her at dinner, and she's like, oh, oh, you know, like knocks over some water, champagne glasses, and they're like, whoa, you okay? And she's like, yeah, I'm a, I don't know what that was all about, but... Uh, it was a great disturbance, if you let's, will. Let's get out of here. Like, Alderaan's probably fine. There's nothing to worry about. And so then Maggie Smith, great A. Like, how, you can't not love her uh, from that role, and pretty much everything she's done since on. I have not seen Downton Abbey. I'm sorry. But... Amazing. Before we even see Hook, we watch this scene of absolute destruction that they come home to, and it is so well shot. Really, it's it's kind of it's kind of like a there's not much there to see moment, but it's Stephen's movement of the camera and placing yep. everybody that is makes this incredibly tense because this is the tragedy is like over. They're not there. But we don't know that because all we see is uh, broken glass in the front and then that one slash line that goes from the front door down the hall, all the way up the stairs, all over the new nanny's forehead. She's, cr- she's lacerated across the forehead. Like, I don't know how, why she just stood there and just took it, and then he kept on going up to the well, top the children room. were screaming. Right, they were screaming. But, like, he kind of came in through the window, so it, but it's, like, like, logistically, that doesn't make sense, but it's terrifying because the mm-hmm. John Williams score is doing that while we're walking through this crime scene and then uh, you know Maggie's a Peter and she turns that door over and there's this old pirate looking dagger with red jewel crust in the eyes of this on this hilt and it's this nice parchment old and you're like oh my god this is the most (laughs) we're going pirate style your presence is required oh so good it's such a good setup that this villain's not playing around I'm trying Immediately to say. cut to Phil Collins as the detective. Right? That's another <laughs> right? amazing cameo where he's just the guy they were. Like, someone asked him, I think Toodles, asked him a completely, like, Neverland-related question. Oh, that's right. And he was just like, yeah, whatever. He was like, eh, yeah, so yeah, sure. like, have you forgotten how to fly? And he's yes. like, we all do, I think. Or? He's like, yeah, that totally happens. And <laughs> no matter what. Like, cause that's not a kid. We're ne- we're never gonna understand that one. But like, as the as an adult watching it, you're like, but there's there's no reason for this. But still, shock, nice. Yeah. Cause why is Phil Collins a cop? Like, I don't get it. But <laughs> one of several cameos that were wonderful throughout this film. All right. Oh, I'm jump. Okay, so one other thing uh, for uh, worthless dad Peter Pan that we get to know. Um, mm-hmm. Afraid of flying, afraid of heights. Um, is but he a, flew on Pan Am. You'll I notice. Know. I know. Right. Love that, that, that pun. I feel like I did not watch this movie closely enough. I had it on a VHS, baby. That's as high as quality as you can get. <laughs> I've got a Blu-ray. It's it's a it's a very very layered movie. There's a lot references. there. Yeah. Um. He. For, so for like character development, uh, this this thing pops out at me, um, because of the whole fatherhood thing. And it's when uh, he's got that deal 
at his job or something like that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, that's all he cares about during the first act. He's just like, wait a minute, these owls have a breeding 50-mile radius? Five billion dollar deal? Five billion dollar deal, you know? And he's screaming and everything. It's, he, he had to send a fellow coworker with a home video camera to his son's baseball game Mm-hmm. that he promised to be there for the night before while attending the play. Yeah. So it sets up this broken family dynamic like right mm-hmm. out of the gate where like the son's like, father, attention, and he's just like, please, I'm going to go make money. Leave me alone. And <laughs> but as, as a peace offering, here's the home video so that I can watch it and be like, oh, talk to you as like father and son. Like We don't know what that whole deal is, but... What I absolutely love about it is, is Jack, is, his son is on the pitching mound, and his mom is like, don't throw a curveball. And they, I think they lose, right, Nick? Like he, his son loses. Yeah, so he was batting, and they threw the curveball, and that was strike three, and that, was it. It, yeah. that was it. Yeah. But he did catch a – well, it's implied he caught the fly ball to move the innings along, but um, – <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So, Baseball, a violent sport. Well, yeah, like way later in the movie – we're in Neverland and Hook's got the children kidnapped and he's trying to brainwash them and they play a game of baseball for Jack. And even though Robin wasn't there for the real game in real life in America, I don't know where they lived in America, but... San Francisco. San Francisco, thank you. So yeah. he's, he's, in, uh, he's in costume like as, a, as a, like a generic pirate watching the game and he knows the pitch his son can't hit. He, yeah, it's like uh, he's true. not yeah. there for that scene, so you kind of get the sense like, God, this guy's terrible. He doesn't know anything about his kid. He knows exactly what kind of game his son can win at baseball, and call and is like, don't throw a curveball. And I'm like, oh, he does love his kid. Aww. Yeah, I think sure. if anything, they did this amazing job of establishing him as non-child, like the people, the childlike eternity that Peter Pan is in. Um, they've established that him as an adult, like there is zero playtime. I mean, so yes with Jack, but even with Maggie, when she gives him the flowers, she goes, here, daddy, I made you this flower. Doesn't it smell nice? He goes, it's paper, honey. He just gives it right back. I know. Like not, not an ounce of imagination, not a bit of fun. Like they, they really concreted that very well. Nothing. It's, I think only Robin Williams can pull that off where both he has that callous side that he's playing this detached father, but you can see underneath the whole thing that, that's not him. He's lost something. He needs to get it back. Robin Williams is the guy who can both show that that coldness, but you can always see that there's something underneath him that doesn't want to be this way. There's more to him. This isn't this isn't him, right? There's yeah. a warmth there that that he, you can see him actively suppressing. And it's yeah. yeah, it's a it's a true testament to like lending to a character everybody already knows and still bringing mm-hmm. something new to the table. Um, he has, let me actually just jump to my Robin stuff here. Um, to me, this is like his most influential role of like all time. Uh, I know he's done better stuff and won, uh, Academy Awards and everything like Goodwill Hunting and all that, yada, yada, yada. That's all great. But this one's one like as, as a child in the audience connecting to an on-screen portrayal that I know is coming from an actor sealed the deal. I was like, this man's amazing. Um, there's this brutal, brutal um, realization of how 
off the rails of his origins. He, he finds himself, and it's when he fails that first trial, uh, trying to save his children from Captain yes. Hook. Yeah, it's yeah, yeah. so good. It's subtle. It's really subtle, but it's it's an emotional gut punch to watch. Like no matter what, like still today, yeah. I'm just like, oh man, it's come true to on. Like at the end of the day, like you, when you see somebody hit their absolute limits, and then that like I, I don't think I've seen that in many movies. Like when they've hit their limits and they know they can't go further, like he just has that look of pure defeat on his face, and it kills me. It's heartbreaking. It's, he does yeah. such a good job. Like as a father, I'm sitting there thinking that no, you've got to keep trying, man. Yeah, it's, it's your children, and he's just like, I can't. And it's not yeah. a it's not a fake I can't because he kind of he balances this line where he's just mm-hmm. like I I could I just don't want to give that much oh. but when it's like all right fly up there and save your kids they're they 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 track them in this old like fishing net and they hoist them up like just off the, it's like six feet uh, away from the mast and they're like you just you literally have to hover 15 feet up and touch your fingers your children's fingers and uh like that's the challenge and <laughs> you know he kind of plays it off as like a little bit of a joke in a robin williams way and then hook is like no i'm serious and then he's like oh gosh he, then he tries he climbs up this mass painfully slow and it's so slow that these pirates standing around on the deck of the ship are starting to get bored like some of them are yawning like oh my come on man <laughs> we just we just want to fight peter pan and who is this guy and he gets all the way out onto that masthead and like just tries to reach and them, they're, you know, they're screaming like, Dad, come on, you got to try, you got to try. And their hands are reaching out through the net holes and everything. And when he like looks like, if I could just lean a little bit further, he starts to fall off. And, like, and then he like catches himself and you can see him grip that. I don't know if he was on wire work or what, but the way he is gripping this masthead is like, He's holding on for dear life. He looks scared. Mm-hmm. And yeah. he is covered in sweat. He is gross. He, it's like, like Nick said, like true defeat. Yeah. And he's just like breathing on this mask with like all this sawdust from like these old ropes and everything like going everywhere. And you're like, oh, this is pathetically bad. <laughs> and like even the villains get it. Like Smee gets it. He's just like, that's... That and ain't Peter Quiet. Yeah, they look and they get, yeah. yeah, that's the other part that nails that scene. They're like, this is not supposed to happen. This is a kid's movie. He's got to save them. And this is our climax of Act One. <laughs> where mm-hmm. they, it's just this dead, quiet, like, oh, failure. That moment where Hook decides to cancel the war. Yep. <laughs> um, <coughs> kill him. Kill them all. Uh. Kill, oh my gosh. I've used that line. There are so many lines in this movie that I have used dismissively in conversations or like playing Smash Brothers with my family where I'm just like, kill them. Kill them. Like little lines from this movie that nobody like will recognize immediately. And it's just like, oh man, I guess I'll try again later. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I have not seen this since I think I was six or seven. I think I watched it at Christmas one year and I saw it at school one year, but there are images in this movie that are burned in my brain and I didn't know where they were from. Like which one? Give us one. I, I, I couldn't even tell you. Just I, I, print Tinkerbell a lot. There's that moment where I don't want to get ahead of ourselves with that, that, that moment where she becomes big. I remember that moment, but I have no idea what from. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I, she I, doesn't either. It's, it's a weird part in the movie. It's still weird. 
because <laughs> it's still so it happened routinely. There was there's a sense of deja vu the entire way through this movie that I just it was weird to have realized how much of an impact it made on me without me never realizing it. Steven Spielberg, baby. Oh, uh, that's, that's what he do. <laughs> um, so like it's this mic sound is a negative, but I'm gonna try and make it not. Uh, to me, so like speaking of Tinkerbell and Julia Roberts, to me that feels like a miscasting because she doesn't do a whole lot to the plot, but the character of Tinkerbell is absolutely crucial to this movie. Like if you look at it in a certain way, Tinkerbell and Smee drive the plot. Um, opening I'm going to give you guys a quick movies with Mikey and say, but did you know that most of her lines were written by Carrie Fisher? What? Is that why Carrie Fisher's the, the has that cameo with George Lucas on the bridge? And like that couple that like floats up. It's this. I had to look this up because everyone Wait, goes like, yeah, okay. George so Lucas. So there is when <sighs> Tinkerbell is carrying Peter Pan off to Neverland, right? Like second right, 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 star right, right, right. off to the right. Like and in, in the, he's wrapped up and she's. Yeah. yeah. So she's there. It's uh, like trailing pixie dust is behind them. Mm-hmm. And so as they fly over this bridge, I think it's the London bridge, like next to the big Ben. Um, yeah. It hits. It falls on this old this these two people, and they're embracing each other. And then they like start to like lift up and twirl mm-hmm, and rotate. Yeah, that is supposed to be George Lucas and Carrie wow. Fisher. Wow, you that, cannot tell what? even in Blu-ray. Whoa. The camera is way too far back. This sure. is the era where Carrie Fisher is kind of like a script fixer at this yeah. point. Yeah, right? she was a script doctor. doctor at this point. And if you look it up on Wikipedia, she's listed as doing um, rewrites for Tinkerbell. Huh. Um, yeah. So Tinkerbell absolutely like wreck shop. Um, the first the first action <laughs> scene that we get, and when she like you know convinces Peter Pan, and I'll get into that because there's a subplot with her that's that's important, but it still it doesn't feel like it fits into this movie with everything mm-hmm. else that we have going on. But she single handedly like wrecks these pirates that are going to kill Peter. Like, because he looks like a nice dressed dude in a bad part of town when they get to Neverland. And that one guy with the peg leg wants his shoes, which is hilarious. Yeah. Firefly from hell. <laughs> right. So, so as these pirates, like, attack him, like, Tinkerbell, like, just beats them all off and, it, and like, just destroys them. Yeah. Steals a piece of everybody's outfit and, and dresses uh, Peter up with it. And we're good. Um, she saves his life like three times over in this movie. Um, one is where they, like, Hook realizes that's not Peter Pan, even though this is medically that, like, that's the guy we've kind of watched him in the real world and everything. That's the same scar I gave him on his uh, belly, which he says, uh, that's my appendix. <laughs> right, right, yeah. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> so good. Uh, and it's that deadpan, like, quick. Uh, Robin's stand-up like delivery where you're like, oh, this is so good. Like just later, just to see him be like unwittingly hilarious in a fish out of water tale in a place where he totally belongs. Like he comes from, he helped create, cultivate it uh, mm-hmm. with his contrast with this villain. Um, Hook was absolutely going to kill him and his children right then and there. And she goes, whoa, how about I take him and train him for three, or I think she said like four or five days. They argue back and forth, but it ends up being Yeah, he three says days. two, she says four, he says three, final offer. Yep, and then she shakes the hook. <laughs> That's like gigantic <laughs> to her. Um, but 
like other than that, like everything kind of Tinkerbell does in this movie, you're just like, well, we need a Tinkerbell. And I had the weirdest hang up because the animated one is blonde and Julia is not. And it's her hair, even though it's cut the kind of the same way. But I was like, she's not wearing green. I was like, this is her grow up kind of arc, you know, with everybody Mm -hmm. else. It felt like really, really weird until she explodes out of her apartment house and is big. And she has a very pretty woman, like almost Cinderella type Bella LeBall dress on. And she says to Peter, this was my one true wish. And it's the romantic subplot of the movie because it really isn't one in terms of like, you know, mm-hmm. self-discovery and everything like that. The only one carrying that B love story is Tinkerbell and she's been holding this card forever. Like if you factor in the flashback when they go uh, say like how Peter as a baby got to Neverland, like Tinkerbell found him and flew him over. She's been like, I'm going to, get with this little guy one way or another. <laughs> and one here way. he is now, you know, as to us, like a full grown male adult, but who knows how many hundreds of years old was he in a timeless realm of reality and is, oh, I just wish I could. I just, I just wish I could be with him so much. I just want to kiss him. So she does. And it immediately snaps because this is right after like Robin or Peter, like figures out he is pan. And yep. is in back in full costume, um, and can crow and fly and do all this other stuff. Like he's just jazzed to be back in himself again. And she's like, ah, I was, I was really hoping since you're an adult now, and technically I've been an adult while a fairy, but I've been an adult the entire time we've known each other. If we could just have a tongue and throat party real quick, that would be great. <laughs> and <laughs> oh no. As soon as they touch lips, he snaps back and is just like, Moira, my kids. Oh, my God. I I have this whole other life I got to get back to. I got to do all this. Like, she snaps him out of it. And she, if you watch this closely, again, she's absolutely crushed. She has Mm -hmm. held the flame for this dude for eons. And he's still turning her down. Because, like, if you remember the animated original, every time Tinkerbell tried to... uh, act up and get his Peter's attention, he always didn't care. He was just like, yeah, whatever. Tinkerbell, stop. Just grow up. Whatever. And <laughs> here they are again. She's like trying to win this man's heart over and it still doesn't matter. And it like teaches one of the better moments, <laughs> one of the best lessons in this film, which is like just this disappointment of just like, hey, you can't, you, sometimes you're just a side character. You can't always get what you want. Because <laughs> even when that happens, she still shoes him off to go fight the war because it's because right after Same that kiss, kiss yeah, yeah, he gets the idea. He's just like, Oh my god, I know how I'm gonna do this because he's back mm-hmm. to all his old antics. And it was her love that he once again rejected for I don't know how many umpteen times he turned her down, but that's what like broke him into the third act of just like, All right, now I'm now I am pan the man, I'm gonna save this. But she nails that scene. And even in the rest of the movie, yeah. we're kind of like, duh. It's just like, why is she, why is she Tinkerbell? Like, I don't get it. And then it gets to that, <laughs> it gets to that scene where she was just like, you're such a man. I will now, say what Peter. was fascinating about that sequence, and one thing that I think critics did have an issue with, maybe, was the rules of Neverland. I know that Maggie has a throwaway 
earlier when she gets that F grade and she's getting pulled away from Jack and she says, Neverland makes you forget. And so in that sequence, after Peter remembers everything, it's almost as if it pushes the reality, the real world out. And the one thing that was true was that made him leave Neverland was the kiss that he eventually gave Mora when he truly fell in love and Tink snaps that out of him. And so the rules are funky in Neverland, especially because, yeah. and this was, oh, Brennan, go ahead. Well, no, I, I really think that there's a three hour cut of this movie that's even yeah, the director's I cut. There is so. a lot of stuff that I think those rules, they it seems to me like the characters know them. We as the audience just don't. Yeah. Like Maggie there's stuff for, like, said. The movie. Yeah. yeah. I, I think I would love to see a director's cut because I know there's scenes in there that you could tell where the scenes were cut and thinking, oh, but that would make it better. But 1990, was it two? 91? 91. 91, yeah. No studio's going to let them make a three hour cut of a Peter Pan movie. Well, what's crazy about, and not to get too deep into the behind the scenes stuff, but they had started this movie in 85. Like they, like he had, Spielberg had talked about, um, he had always wanted to do a Peter Pan story because his grandmother would read him or his mother would read him Peter Pan as a child. So he always wanted to do Peter Pan. Um, From what I looked up online, it showed that Dustin Hoffman had been signed on to be hooked since 85 and the movie got stopped twice. Hmm. And different people got fired and then brought back on and Spielberg left. And then the writer, Nick Castle, who also wrote Mother Treasure Island, by the way, um, came back <laughs> to direct it. And then he was let go from directing it. Um, and then Spielberg came back. And so that's when they shot it, I think, in most of 89 then into 1990, I believe, were the filming dates for that. But what you said, Kyle, reminded me of one of the notes that I wrote down while watching this was, what's funny to me is Shmi has a sworn affidavit and Pete's and, and Peter's medical records implying that he was the one who stole the kids. <laughs> and there's just so many little lines in that scene with that imply that the pirates know so much more than just Neverland. The fact that hook insults him right away by calling him Mr. Cham- chairman of the board. Like where would that have even come from in the Neverland right. realm? But yet so, he grasps like, it so well and is able to weaponize it back at him. Yeah. And they hinted that, I think it was Maggie said the groundskeeper was really, really mean to them earlier. So then that would be Shmi because Shmi was the groundskeeper at the end of the movie as well. So it's implied that Shmi was the one who stole them and left the note and all that stuff. And how did Shmi get there? Like the rules are kind of funky, but I just loved going with it. All right. So two quick things on the concept of Neverland in this, in this film where it has its own little tiny cameos within the movie. Uh, She, Maggie says the man at the window. And she's okay. like, he's a window washer. It's, he's really bad. To me, I always thought that was Hook, like just scoping out the place because at the very end of this movie, we see Bob Hoskins' as Smee is a street cleaner. Like after the adventure's over, he's just like, hey there, you, you drinking again outside? <laughs> trouble with the yeah. missus? Yeah, trouble with the missus. And way earlier in the movie, very beginning when they're flying on Pan Am, uh, the, you know, Peter's in the in the chair. Uh, his his wife's talking to him like, "You really messed up. You missed your kid's game, and you said you would be there. What's going on, bro?" And he's just like, "Can we just land and just let me get my job finished, please?" And his kids <laughs> are just being obnoxious brats because they're not getting enough fatherly attention. There's a part where the captain comes on the intercom, and he goes, "We'll be landing in London." That's Dustin Hoffman. That's his That's voice. Amazing. He goes, this is your captain speaking. And it's just oh like how Hook talks. So we need to talk about Dustin Hoffman. We are. Oh, oh. my gosh. Yeah. The man dissolved into the role. Like <laughs> I have seen him. He in melted, so, man. Yeah. So many movies. 
And this is the only one where I was just like, he's a chameleon. He's a freaking chameleon. All right. It was brilliant. Yeah. So now we're at the part where we get to talk titular why this movie. So Dustin oh, Hoffman why is Why is Hook? this movie called Hook? Because, yeah. <laughs> well, I, I personally, I think they just wanted to like focus on the villain. Like your, your first sure. intro to this world and every setting and everything is Peter Pan. He's your hero. There you go. But like, hey, when the real world and time really drags you down, who's going to make everything exciting again? And it's our villain. And Dustin Hoffman is beyond perfect as a character actor in this role. To mm-hmm. this day, he's still unrecognizable to me in that getup, that makeup, that oh, everything. Yeah. 99% of the time, I'm like, I'll stare at it and be like, no, that's just that's Captain Hook. That's somebody else. And, yeah. <laughs> and then when you like, you have to really look at it to go, oh, Rain Man, that's Rain Man in there. Or, you know? Or, <laughs> Definitely. And he's, it's, he is, like you said, a chameleon. He is just full on into this. He has this amazing heroic what I think should have been like Jaws's intro in Jaws because his screen presence is delayed for so much of the film's runtime right out of the gate that they Bob Hoskins as me who also does fantastic um, gives him this grand intro. I think one of the lines he says is he's so quick he's fast asleep. And like all these pirates just die laughing. They're just like, this is the greatest thing ever. And then he comes out to his theme. This also the score by John Williams, like he's ever done a bad score in his life. But this one is up there as like in terms of just epic and like perfect pitch to every scene and moment. And he walks out, you know, they're chanting hook, hook, there's a hook and everything. And he has, yes, he has this insane look in his eyes that they look like they're on fire. Like he is searing mad and enraged, but still able to be cocky, eloquent, with a very like diverse vocabulary. So And sinister. And like the amount of t- every time that like to me, there's not one scene with Captain Hook in this movie is wasted. It's all awesome. Oh no! Every time he's doing something and then has to do a quick aside with Smee, he's just like Smee. Is that? Yep, yep. And then they go back. It's like he's intelligent, but he's kind of dim-witted when it comes to his fears, which is still time. I got some deep theories about this movie. Um, but it's the whole, like, you have to think what happened to this man when he was humiliated by Peter Pan, a, a boy, right? Um, who could fight off pirates and uh, scared him off with a crocodile who swallowed the clock. So whenever he hears that, you know, it's a deep thing, um, which works really well for the symbology of, like, time itself. Like, he's afraid it's coming to get him all the time. And that's why he wants all the clock stopped, Yep. And he has the, the, the crocodile, which looks awesome. And I was like really disappointed that that thing did not move at the end. I mean, it kind of does, you know, but it's like long dead and he's had it stuffed. Like that's his white whale, technically, like in a way, and he beat it. And who knows how long ago that was. So by the time Peter Pan's in Neverland again, 
Hook has nothing to do except yeah. grand scheme in the most brilliant way to get his war. And I think that's because what he really wants is to die. Like he wants to be beaten by in an adversary, yeah. adversary that's worthy because there's so many times in this movie um, where... He doesn't seem afraid of war. He there's a joviality to the idea of oh, fighting yeah. and killing each other. He thinks mm -hmm. it's... Like he it's says... Like boyhood. That, that's his boyhood side of him is he's excited for that. Yeah. He's like, yeah, let's just fight and kill each other and best pirate wins or whatever. Um, he says pretty early on, uh, death is the only great adventure. It's this very true telling of like, he's been unchallenged for who knows how long that Peter's been living in our reality on earth. And he's just like, oh, there's nothing left to do except I just need someone to take me out. And there's, there's so many times where he loses uh, little by little. And you'd think like that's kind of what he wants, but he cheats. Like in the in the last fight scene when uh, him and Peter Pan in the sword uh, choreography in this movie is right up there with Pirates of the Caribbean, I'd say. Mm -hmm. Like it's fantastic. They I know it's not really them, but be, just how fast they're moving and how believable Dustin Hoffman looks with a hook in hand and a sword in the other, and he's like, in "Let's heels. go, Peter." I had never right, caught that right. before. During that scene, he's wearing heels. The, oh yeah, the whole time. Yeah. Um. There's a, there's a part where like. Peter disarms him and knocks him down. And you're like, all right, he's, he's beaten. This is a family movie. You can't kill him, right? Right. <laughs> so he goes to hand him his sword back. And Hook, like, takes it but, like, scratches his arm with the hook and, like, lash, cuts, has this huge laceration on it. And you're just like, this guy will not stop playing dirty. Like bad the form. things, Yeah, bad form. The things he does in this movie is all to keep provoking Peter back. Um, into a conflict, uh, and it's it's just to be just to meet his end. Um, he even when he's trying to brainwash his children, which I thought was like really weird as a kid. I was just like, why does he want his kids to love him? Like that doesn't make any sense. You look at it now in the, in like the terms of like w the scope of fatherhood that we're dealing with. It's the perfect weapon to get back at him. It's mm -hmm. it's yeah, I yeah. want I want you I want to show your children what a real father is like, and. That's kind of like the best setting to utilize that dynamic for that type of message. Because we really, really were just getting back to Robin Williams' Peter Pan needs to learn to have fun again and to be more loving to his children and forgive them for being, you know, silly kids that break stuff sometimes and mm -hmm. not being such a stubborn, stuck up grown up. And Hook <laughs> says, uh, do you know why your parents tell you stories at night? It's to get you to shut up and go <laughs> to sleep. <laughs> that sparked conversation between me and my children last night. Oh, yeah. No. <laughs> oh, gosh. So they asked me if that was true, and I explained to them a little bit. <laughs> thank you. Like, thank you for your candor. <laughs> Hook is touching base with what most of any Facebook meme today looks like where it's just like, oh, parenting is so hard because blah, 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 blah. And he's hitting this nail on the head. He's just like, yeah, rearing children is not this easy fairy tale that you think it is. But he spins it and goes, it's because you're awful children. 
and they're like, what? What do we do with this? But like, and like Jack's kind of, you know, remembering something else or like forgetting uh, more things than Maggie is. She's still able to hold it together for a little bit. But it's mm -hmm. such an evil, evil thing to try and do is convince a child that your parent does not love you. But, and he does it in such a charismatic, like in a lot of ways he's filling in those gaps that, that, that Pan is missing. Yeah. Like, yes. Because it's not that he's just straight up manipulative and evil. He's straight up manip he's manipulative and evil in just the right ways where he's filling in the gaps that they've needed from their father. It's it's great. And Dustin Hoffman, that that's tough to do to show those layers and he does he's like you you know that he's being evil and yet you can also see how I could follow him. Oh yeah. <clears throat> he yeah. is I th and I think one of my favorite cuz there's so like I was saying earlier there's a lot of good wordplay in this movie. Um the one with Smee when he goes to kill himself as a joke. He's saying like all right Smee this is it Smee don't try and stop me Smee Smee you better get over here stop me stop me Smee I'm going to kill myself Smee he gets a flint he just he just gets up gets a flintlock pistol out of the cabinet and holds a gun to his head in a kids movie mind you and Smee goes oh not this again <laughs> and like, this has happened once a week for the last we can, 6 years we get this sense that like He's so bored, he keeps threatening to kill himself because there's no one around to challenge him. He's Lord of Pirate Lord of Neverland, basically. But without a Peter mm -hmm. Pan, what is he going to do? So, you know, they, they go through that whole gag, and he's just like, all right, we got we to gotta really get Peter Pan and everything like that. But Dustin Hoffman's performance and playing down every one of these things is... Still phenomenal to watch. Uh, I don't know why the Oscar snubbed him that year because, man, he is good. Mm -hmm. Just that, just that whole Smee translates <laughs> and <Smee> just <laughs> turns around. He's just like, "It's three days. We're gonna have a war." And then everyone's like, "Yeah," because no one can stand Captain James Hook's eloquent speech. But oh no, that's oh, true. Speaking it's, of, uh, what does what does Smee say? He's like. Uh, I've just had an apostrophe. I think you mean an epiphany. Lightning has struck, struck my, my brain. brain. That, that must have hurt. hurt. <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's so good. Um, mm -hmm. There's So to like drive home this like menacing terror uh, that he hits off the first step, because he, he has all the, the different layers of like the cartoony villain, the silly, wacky, like uh, almost Disney type of a character, and then this very real, serious, like, threat against your life on his whim uh, is when he goes, he's trying to celebrate that, like, yeah, I'm going to get Peter back to Neverland, and we're going to fight, and we're going to have our war that we've always wanted forever, and it's going to be fantastic. But one of you doubted me. And then the whole deck goes quiet, and then he's like, you, you didn't think I could do it. And everyone kind of stands aside. And Robin Williams is in costume, so we think, like, Hook can see him, like, he's that good. He's figured it out, yeah. But he's pointing at a pirate next to him. They do the whole, like, who, me? And then point at each other at the next guy. And he's just like, it was you, right? You, you, th you uh, tried to spread rumors that I couldn't fulfill my promise to you guys and, get, and bring the war back with Pan and the Lost Boys. And this pirate starts crying, and she's like, it was me. It was me. And he's like, <laughs> the boombox. And then the and he's like, box. not that. <laughs> and then they take this pirate and open up a chest on the deck of the ship, 
and lock them in there and then drop in these black scorpions, which are harmless because they're massive. But as a kid, they, mm-hmm. you know, the pirates yeah. are screaming and everything, and we're like, whoa, this dude is not playing around. Even though he's doing the stereotypical, like, I will kill off my own men, it doesn't matter. I'm that evil. Um, and I'm pretty sure that was Glenn Close. Thank yep. you, BuzzFeed, all those years ago for telling me that. That was wait, actress wait, Glenn, Glenn Close. Close? Glenn Close is the pirate, the pirate known as known as Gutless, who gets put in the boo box. The, the boom box. Yeah, yeah, that's Glenn Close. I'm gonna have to watch this again tomorrow. The other crazy cameo was uh, David Crosby from Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young. He plays another pirate, but I don't remember which one he is. But I think that was it for the. Is it the one he who jumps out the window? Uh, the pirate's name is Tickles. So oh, I have no idea. So that one and Gwyneth Paltrow, I did not. Her as young Wendy, I was like, wait a minute. Oh yeah, it's a, it's very subtle, but it's it's another testament to the age makeup that they had in this film because it's young Gwyneth, like seven. Yeah. Gwyneth is that's who we're looking at, and then really? we get to see here as an older Wendy on up until Maggie Smith, give or take fifty years, and. Then Peter's like, whoa, lady, you old and wrinkly now. And like, she freaks was out. 19. My halo uh, call sign was always goop. And then she started her company up and pissed at her ever since. <laughs> so, there it's you justified. Go. You're absolutely justified. Yep. Yeah. yeah. All right. Continue. All 19 right. year old Gwyneth. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so let's see. Dustin as Hook. And I just cannot get over. I refuse to for all the yes. rest of time. Okay, so since you brought that up again, real quick, there's a video on YouTube of him being interviewed on some red carpet, and at some point, some girl says, like, I loved you, and Hook, and he says, come here and close your eyes, and he puts his hand on, like, his hands on her, and he goes, I hate, I hate, I hate pizza band, and I was just like, I would have cried uncontrollably seriously like to, to feel that presence and that memory like for what that movie did to me like so he knows and if you go um you know rest robin williams in peace but if you go to his ama on reddit the number one most upvoted thing was just so you know like hook was amazing and he goes lost boys rule like so so they know <laughs> like other than spielberg's little complaints that he's done in interviews throughout the years like the actors know and, yeah, and whatever. rufio knows and Thudbutt knows you know does does that not make you feel good when you enjoy a performance that much and this and the performer can turn around and say I, I'm aware. Thank you. It's just like, yeah, because oh. yeah, yeah, they yeah. liked it too. You know, I've all, I just, when you enjoy some, an artist's work and they do too, it's just a cool mutual thing that we can all just hug, yeah. you, hug ourselves over. And, oh, I love it. Yeah. Um, but it's a major bummer. I'm not going to say a missed opportunity because the fact that it's only once makes it more special. But Dustin and Robin only talk once when he's the, older Peter Pan and has not rediscovered his youth. And it's some of the funniest banter in the movie because it's done in one shot. And Bob Hoskins, who's a fantastical Smee, is playing off of both of them. And it's when they're trying to discover who Peter is. And it's that part where he's just like, Peter? And he's like, yes, you're Peter? And he's like, yes, is there an echo in here? Like they just riff so well. And it's all done in, like the cut in the movie is just in one take. And I'm like, I would kill to watch more of this because like, you know, like higher mind educated Peter. 
uh, trying to reason with an, a megalomaniac as James Hook is priceless. And on, like as to bookend it, the next time they meet, he's full on pan again, and it's it's go time. It's let's cross some swords and have at thee. Um, you dark and sinister man. Yeah, that's the line where he's just like, you dark and sinister man, have at thee. And then, I remember that the first time they met, you were talking about that scene where he's like, yo, Peter, and he tells him to draw his weapon and he pulls out his checkbook. His checkbook, yeah. Yes. So And then then of course, like, he shoots him and it it hits the pirate behind him and the pirate dies. Oh, my gosh. It's so good. It's so good. I love it. I love it. All right. So, um... Then we have a. So, since we're in Neverland, uh, I got to point out how unreal the set design of Neverland actually is. That place looks real. That little pirate's cove that looks like a full on city. There is so much detail and stuff that is too far into the background when you're first being introduced to it. Like when Peter goes back, that you're like, this is. People live here. People have jobs. They have full lives. Like that's how detailed the set design is just in this movie. Uh, and then we, when we meet the Lost Boys, they have that little, you know, there's the four seasons all within like a square acreage area where they yeah. just like <laughs> live. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's never explained. And you're like, eh, okay, whatever. I'm- but it's I guess great. it's probably too late to ask. Have any of you guys read the original Peter Pan? Okay, so I haven't either. The closest I've come to the original is, I guess, the stuff they did on Once Upon a Time, because from what I understand of the lore, the pirates are the lost boys who got older and escaped Peter. So, And I don't know if this is true or not, but somebody said that um, Peter would kill the lost boys when they got too old, but the ones who escaped became the pirates. Hmm. Has anybody heard that theory before? (laughs) I haven't, but I could see that that I could see it fitting. Because I I've wondered about like the chrono the chronological ability of Neverland itself a lot. Rewatching this film all these years later, it's like it, Peter grows up to a point while staying in Neverland pretty much the entire time, based on his flashback, uh, where mm-hmm. he just realizes he just has his whole life story um, exposition point. Uh, and Hook stays the same age. Or at least we are led to believe so. Um, you, you know, when they when he gets the wig knocked off, then he's got that really short, you know, gray withered hair underneath and everything like that. So we're kind of like, ah, you're not invincible um, right. or immortal or whatever. But it, I mean, it very well could be that. Like these these pirates are the ones. But in Hook itself, like just contained from animated um, original to this movie in live action. Those are the, some of those Lost Boys are the exact same Lost Boys he had a running crew with, Thudbutt in particular. Like, because Toodles, who lives in Wendy's house in the real world, like it seems like he came back with Peter, John, and Wendy, or something like that. Like it feels he just that way, yeah. he wanted to go back, um, and he lost his marbles, which is a hilarious <laughs> metaphor for dementia. Uh, yes, it is. <laughs> <laughs> then turns up being a practical gag that Thudbutt gives him. He's just like, yeah, Toodles lost his marbles. And he's yeah, just he like... he lost them good. Oh, my gosh. He just, like, Did looks you? at him like, oh, th- real marbles. All righty. Okay. So now that we're on to the Lost Boys, I have to say the imaginary dinner is one of those scenes, Brendan, that to me is that one that it sticks in your memory no matter how long you've 
been away from the movie. Everything in that amazing that that scene looked delicious. Mm, um, yeah. Binging with Babish actually recently did an episode where he picked a bunch of things that were on the table and then recreated oh, them. Awesome. I want one yeah. of those pies. Oh. I will add that into the show notes. So if anybody wants to watch that, that um, yeah, that yes, yes, the pie especially. I never noticed first off that Thud Butt's face and name is in the massive block of cheese that's right next to him. Um, but everything at that table I wanted to eat. And then like, of course I'd want to chuck it across the table. It's like the greatest food fight in movie history, in my opinion, of course, but, ah, uh, that's well, like a major phobia food fights. I found it very disturbing. Oh no. <laughs> deeply, deeply troubling. Oh shoot. Oh. So that food fight whole thing is an amazing sequence because you feel like this after this amazing training montage where he is not doing well. Like old age has definitely he is sore. <laughs> just beaten him up and all the drinking and all the whatever else that adult Peter has done. And then you're like, all right, I want to chow down on some food. And then, you know, there's nothing in any of these dishes, any of these pots that are steaming. They take out the lib and they start grabbing at it and there's nothing in there. And like, it's almost <laughs> like another, it feels like you're being cheated again because you as the audience aren't getting Neverland because Peter couldn't fly to save his kids. And now the guy can't even eat. But it teaches yeah. you one of the most important lessons is that the key is to believe and use your imagination. That's not biologically sustainable. Like, oh my god, you aren't really doing that. That was exactly my thought. I was like, it doesn't matter if nothing is there; it's not going to nourish anybody. Exactly. <laughs> like, I, had, I had that very adult, like, grown up. Like, no, but no, like, he actually needs to have like vitamin K and D and C. Right. <laughs> Stupid. And it's this that fight brings out the you know the fight in actual Peter Pan because I think it's Toodles. Uh, when he tells him, he's like, you got to go to Neverland. And he's like, you have to learn how to fight, how to fly, how to, to crow. How to crow. How to fly. <laughs> and, um, you know, gives him, the, gives him the middle act structure that he has to adhere to. And mm -hmm. Peter Pan's <laughs> like, sounds good to me. It's just three things. I've got three days. Ho, 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 math. And what makes it great is the insult contest with Rufio. And yeah. Dante Bosco as Rufio Love has him. very little to say. He almost has a Boba Fett type of presence just with like 20 yeah. times more lines where he does very little in this movie, but he's still so cool. It's unbelievable. Like just how much they hype up his entrance with Rufio as he like oh, skateboards in. Oh my God, in. that's so dangerous. And <laughs> um, he's like, you're not even old enough to shave. And there you've got swords <laughs> and everything like that. Um, oh, he that insult, Mr. Skunkhead with too much moose. Glorious. I like a, what's a paramecium? And he goes, I'll tell you what a paramecium is. That's a paramecium. I had to Google <laughs> it. It's an algae. Yeah, that's what he says. It's a one. It's, it's a, a one, single one cell something organism. with no brain, you know. And he like explains. Former biology it. teacher here. You can cut them in half, and they grow the other half. You guys never did that growing up. Maybe yeah, I did. Cut, cut, cut them halfway down, they'll grow two heads. It's great. Oh wow! I mean, I was still thinking back to the food scene where I remembered that he said, uh, "There's nothing here. Gandhi ate more than this." And a couple episodes <laughs> ago, we did UHF and we talked about Gandhi there. So, oh. for anyone counting at home, that's Gandhi reference number two. Kago. We, we were trying to see how long it took the kids to recognize that that was Zuko. We we're just telling. We oh, made him close our eyes yeah, every yeah. time he talks. Yeah. yeah. He's like comparatively, he's super young in that movie. Oh, he's, he's um, yeah, yeah, he's dying. But just 
a presence on screen. Like when he's like, I don't care if you're Peter Pan, I'm Pan the man now. And you're like, Ooh, I believe this. Like go. I want to see Rufio do his thing. Um, so like that whole, that the whole food fight and the whole, it's like, you need to believe in yourself and he's starting to get it. He, it's like the first time we see him understand, uh, of how Neverland works and remember who he is. So it's a, an excellent moment in the film. Um, then there's that baseball game, which is just, you know, hook messing with Peter again. Um, and the way that that's set up is it gives Peter his like low point in the movie, as far as like the hero journey goes. Mm -hmm. And then he stumbles off, uh, sees his shadow again. And then we get this whole, like the real punch beat of a fatherhood theme. And this is a sequence of shots in this film with this voiceover narration and just like exposition dump that mm -hmm. always brings me to tears because you believe Robin that the one thing Peter wanted to do was become a dad. And yep. it starts with that teddy bear that he finds, which is, if we want to talk like setups and payoffs, that same teddy bear is on the teddy. couch next to Toodles. Yeah, Teddy. And he, uh. and he says that rhyming thing where he's like, Teddy, Teddy, Daddy, I wanted to be a dad more than anything. And <laughs> I absolutely loved that. <clears throat> I'm trying not to get all choked up. Because sure. when you think of childhood innocence and kids who had it rough, what they... Where where did they set and base their goals? And to hear one of them say, well, I want to do that in an area that I felt I was just wronged, like short luck of the draw, but just do it better. And it, it, it kind of shows a lot of things all at once. Um, one is that uh, Moira and Peter's marriage and love for each other is rock solid. You might think Moira yeah. doesn't have a whole lot to do in that movie. They have each other's backs, like, legit. Yeah, uh, at the worst times. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, when, uh, I think it's when uh, the phone call where he's like, would everyone just shut up and get out of here and get rid of these kids? Moira stands up to him right there, and she's like, you need to drop all that BS and realize that your children are going to grow up and you need to be a father to them now. It, like, this right now counts. Mm -hmm. uh, and calls him on it, on his arrogance. And... Um, Chucks that he phone out the window. Chucks the phone out the window. It's a great moment. Uh, so in this in this slew string of flashbacks, you hear Peter go, I, I just wanted to be a father. And then the way he's holding this teddy bear, he's cradling it, uh, you know, like the way you would a oh. newborn infant. And then it's a match cut to newborn baby Jack. And oh. I had to, like, I have to get up and leave the room now as in it's still because i will get you i will start crying like immediately i was just like i can't uh it's too much the emotion is too strong i gotta go um moira is you can tell she just delivered a, she just you know delivered their first child she had an excruciating childbirth like she's covered in sweaters hair's all messy mm -hmm. she's handed her child first thing she does is turn to peter and goes peter you're a daddy and hands him their son and I was like, dude, she knew, she knew that that's the one thing he wanted more than anything mm -hmm. ever. And I was like, that is, oh, it gives me goosebumps. 
it's so poetic um, and such amazing character development, just like in these like small, tiny little bits uh, to show you this is where Peter Pan's really been once he can remember everything. Um, and of course, this gives him his one happy thought, which is mm -hmm. his kids. So then he can fly. And then, uh, like as anyone probably would when you snort that much pixie dust is you drop <laughs> 75 pounds in weight and can fly. Yeah. And then your hair is all moosed up and you got a little bit of touch of eyeliner on. It's not too much. It's not like white tights, classy. Yeah. Right. It's not like overbearing. You're just like, Hey, all right. <laughs> I'm an you, emo kid. You ready to fight some pirates with other children? And they're like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm down. Let's go. Then we go into this, fantastic third act of this great war which as far as like 90s kid-friendly action cinema goes this is at the top not yeah. much else beat this i don't know when mm -hmm. home alone was to this but i think if, the year before so I think. that i my own headcanon says that they were filming these at the same time yes. but even though they kind of end up producing like the same type of crazy battle sequences that are really kind of haphazard and kind of just disjointed. It doesn't matter because it's a fun kids movie and it's like, this is the fight. This is the war we wanted to see. Uh, <laughs> the Lost Boys roll up with such classic weaponry as a chicken egg, egg launcher. Yes. <laughs> uh, machine gun. A marble Gatling gun. That's like that whole body, like he has to hold it and, just, and just shooting out marbles. And then like 20 pirates just run and slip on these. Uh, and then for no practical reason effect at all is the paint line sprayer that yeah. Thudbutt puts on. Get down. Get down. Yeah, it, it's just this, it's just paint getting shot out and it happens to hit the first pirates in a sea of about 50 of them in the eyes. Yeah. But oh, my somehow with the shot, they're all <laughs> taken out <laughs> from the scene. And you're like, this doesn't make sense, Howard. But they're winning, whatever. Uh, there's the, you know, Thudbutt's the, the, the uh, kind of a bigger uh, heavy set lost boy. So he just tucks and rolls up into a cannonball and like goes down the ramp of the pirate ship, kills 30 men. And we just keep on going. I, I don't think they would have gotten away with that today. Probably not. I would, I would Here's be the fat kid rolling down the ramp. I would be remiss if I did not mention that there was there is a an arcade beat 'em up based on the movie. This and movie? You showed based, me this. Yes. Yes, and it is so much fun. I am a I'm a huge beat 'em oh, up fan. Oh, looking this uh, up later. And so I'll tell you like that's his special move too. Thudbots is to bounce up. around. Yes, I I highly recommend if you have play that arcade game any way you can. It's like Knights of the Round. It's like X Men. It's like Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. It's the same side scrolling beat 'em up stuff with hook music the oh, whole wow. time. It's glorious. It's glorious. All right, I just I just had to get that out there. I I, I just found a video. I'm queuing that up for since we're done. Yes, we'll put it in the show notes too. <clears throat> so like we've seen a ton of movies recently, especially with like Marvel and somewhat Star Wars, uh, and I guess some of the Star Treks, but. As far as like large scale battle goes, this one in Hook just looks cool. It's nonsensical when you look at when you try to follow who's where right. between each like sequence, but it's so much fun. It really doesn't matter because these kids, these Lost Boys, like really sell it. 
they're true to the characters too, right? It it may not make sense, but we're we're watching the characters be themselves, and it's driving the plot forward. and, And yeah, I'm glad you said that too, because there's a moment where Hook is just watching, and he makes that face, which. You folks, if you haven't seen the movie, please watch the movie. We're not, you know, there's spoilers galore and stuff, but like that phase that he makes of, like he can't believe what's happening. Like that, <laughs> that actually answered that thought because when I was watching, I was just like, why isn't he doing anything? But Brendan, what you said is correct. Is like he wants this grand war. He's been waiting his his entire life to have this grand war, and he's so dumbstruck by the omnidirectional paint gun <laughs> and all that crap that he's struck dumb. What what also starts it off is the I think he's gonna pierce his son's ear, like he's gonna give right. Jack right. a piercing. Right. Which okay, that that's one part of this movie. I'm like, that's a missed opportunity. He should have cut his son's hand off. To make him more like hmm. himself or threaten to do it, you know, like, Peter, if you don't show up, <laughs> he's going to yeah, be a righty or whatever, you know. What but, did he say? It was, it was a, it's a big day in a pirate's life to get his first piercing, just like the same day when you run a man through. Something, something along like that. those lines. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then Peter cuts out uh, a, a scenic silhouette of the, from the mast, you know of himself with that sword uh, and he just lets it fall to the ground and then he's like Peter Pan and he gets all excited that like oh a bunch of his pirate fellow dudes are going to die by the hands of children <laughs> some of them surrender you know there's a point where after this this huge uh, <laughs> well, set piece do. is going on they just like lay down their arms and the kids are like all right no bang-a-rang. one no yeah bang a rang oh see this movie came up with that like that's how culturally significant this movie is is that Skrillex mm-hmm. was like you know what <laughs> what an awful music video <laughs> exactly um, there's one really cool uh, kind of an homage to uh, Indiana Jones where Peter flies up to save his daughter Maggie from this like one window that's like overlooking the whole battle scene and he fights off the one guy uh, that it shows up right there and there's one guy guarding like all these other children that are held hostage. And I don't know where these other children came More from. More questions. Yeah. Three hour right. cut. Yeah. Rim. And there's another pirate runs in and goes, wait it. I ain't you. And Robin Peter just. Peter Pan. Peter Pan. And he goes. Mm, and turns around and <laughs> just jumps out the, jumps jump out the, the exact window. same window <laughs> that Robin just flew through. And you're like, that's amazing. Like, mm-hmm. He doesn't need to do anything. Um, then there's uh, the the point like let's let's stare the the epic stare down between peter and hook um which gets a little bit messed up uh, because of all the pirates and everything like that but it causes uh the death and downfall of rupio now that's super important because it shows you that hook was capable of snuffing out any anyone who irritated him at all at any point and he was just messing with people for the majority of this movie because, like, he's really dangerous. Uh, even so, after they kill Rufio, like, it's yeah, it's really sad. Um, and he gives that great line that I think is the moment that Peter arcs where he says, If I could have one wish, it would be to have a dad like you. Yeah. So, to me, yeah. that is like, because anything after that moment, like, Jack is like, Dad, I want to go home. And, and they would have just left. Exactly. You know, so that's where he arced, in my opinion. Exactly. There's, there's a m- multiple beats throughout the ending climax of just the one-on-one between Peter and Hook, where Peter has the upper hand. He's good to go. He can just leave and go home. 
Uh, mm-hmm. Maggie says he's just a mean old man without a mommy. Yeah, and I love that line to death. And I'm like, yeah, he could just he could just walk away, but Hook absolutely refuses to lose in any other way that doesn't result in his grand demise. He mm-hmm. threatens Peter's lineage, his legacy of children's I will not children's st- children's. your children's children's children. And I'm like, man, that this baller is serious. Like he's not yeah. around. <laughs> like he's he's like, I'll just kidnap whoever, bring him back here, make you come back. And it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter to him at all. He mm-hmm. only killed Rufio to piss off Peter Pan. He only kidnapped his kids to piss off Peter Pan. Everything he does in this movie is to get Peter Pan to rise to his former self and face him down man to man and end it. And mm-hmm. Peter keeps refusing to do it. And it, it's kind of frustrating. Like, as a kid, you want to see a clear-cut, heroic victory. Like, boom, I, I, the bad guy uh, fell off a cliff or something like that. Because you got to kind of make it a little family-friendly, or he beats him somehow. Every time he beats him in this movie, it's another false finish, because yep. Hook still tries to keep it going until they get back to the town square in Neverland by that clock tower, and he gets his hands stuck in that crocodile's gut, and that causes that uh. whole sequence that's so awe-inspiring. You're like, I, I really wish there was more. I would have loved to have seen a crocodile that big move. Um, mm-hmm. But the belch is a little too much. But when <laughs> it falls on hook, <laughs> and he just disappears, because his mouth never closed, yep. like... The, like I sat in awe of that in theaters and every time I've seen it practically sensed where I was just like, where did he go? Like, what are we doing here? Does, <laughs> he, did he just get swallowed whole? Like, I don't get it. But mm-hmm. hey, that's, that's all we needed to do was just beat Hook. So uh, he's not alive anymore and still uh, you know, pestering <laughs> me. Like, it's, it's sad that it had to come to that, but, like, there wasn't much else to do. And it's this whole, you know, aside from fatherhood, there's that growing up theme that Peter had to do. And Hook is the embodiment of someone who was grown up but refused to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The entire mm-hmm. movie. He's like, yeah, I could arc. I'm not going to, however. And just start a gang horde of pirates. And uh, <laughs> if we have to pester children for all of eternity, I'm down. I am fair game for this. Mm-hmm. But beautiful. What else do I have for Hook? Aside from like just <laughs> I just have Rufio in all caps, like a lot. <laughs> <laughs> in my notes. Oh, uh, so when they get there back, was a punk band in high school that called Rufio that was quite huge back in the day. Go on. Nice. <laughs> so there's a, a there's a Dead Poet Society reference. Uh after they get back, and uh yes, Nick. <laughs> as uh Peter is uh <laughs> You know, he sees me outside as a street sweeper, and he's just like, hey, well, uh, it's cool that I escaped. Like, that's my headcanon, is that Smee had the ability to travel back and forth between real world and Neverland. And then Mm -hmm. when Hook was, like, off the reserve of the deep end, I was like, yeah, I'm going to just take all these riches and go to London, England, where my (laughs) accent fits in. Peace (laughs) out. Deuces, y'all. Because you don't see him. (laughs) When he, like, starts, he goes, when he delivers my favorite, like, what about Smee? Smee's me. What about me? <laughs> what about me? <laughs> he robs Hook blind and just bails. Like, he's not in the movie after that yep. whatsoever, uh, except for that one guy. But, you know, it's uh, the whole catharsis of the, the, the full arc's complete, and he's going to go 
back in aside and make up with his uh, friends and family. And uh, Toodles, he gives Toodles his marbles back. And he's like, yeah, you, you lost these once. And he's like, oh, my marbles. And because he's so ecstatic at having his childhood, you know, his happy keepsake. Thought. Yeah, his happy thought comes back. The Tinkerbell dust uh, gets all over him. And, uh, you know, he does a little bit in each nostril. It's off camera. And <laughs> he levitates and flies out the window. And when he's outside... He turns back around and is like, seize the day. Oh, seize the and day. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Carpe diem. I'm like, I know what you're doing, bro. I've seen this movie. Um, and that's, so that's like, that's most of everything that I think is like one of, just amazing about this entire, entire opening credits and credits um, experience that is Hook. Uh, the only other thing I can think of that's like super cool to add is, uh, Peter, when he like left Neverland and stayed at home in England, uh, he grew up to be the only thing that he understood and recognized, which was a pirate. And just it's mm -hmm. it's this really cool line that his family they're doing that like rap sheet thing, but it's about their dad, you know, yeah. where he's just like, oh my dad's in aggressive acquisitions and blah blah blah, he blows him out of the water, and then Granny Wendy is just like, oh Peter, you've become a pirate, and it's like. Yeah, that he didn't know anything else. Like that's all he knows yep. how to do. So, all, all a grown-up lost boy can be is a pirate. So there pretty you much. Go. So it goes back to that theory, like you're saying, once upon a time. It's like, well, that's it's definitely believable. Like I wouldn't put it past them. Um, yeah. Only other, only other thing I can think of is uh, I think everybody's. Well, I'll ask you guys who your favorite lost boy is before I say mine. But it's got. I mean. Uh, I like the twins that are Boy Scouts. That was kind of funny. But I think, I, I mean, I love Thud Butt. Just Thud Butt's great. Brilliant. He's yeah. great. I, probably, probably Thud Butt. I don't know a lot of their names, but he was the one that stands out the most. He's the jovial heart of the, the Lost Boys. Yeah. He does a, stunt work, everything. He's the, he's the more mature, like, understanding one that's still, let's all be silly. Um, yeah. My favorite one is uh, the one they call Pockets, and I had to IMDb his name. Yeah. Pockets is the one who recognizes Peter Pan in the adult form. I think you're probably that one. That actually, that scene moved me more than any scene in the movie. Huh? It's the that, that there you are, movie. Peter. Oh, there you are. Oh. oh, that you know what? That's that's the scene that I saw here and thought I've watched this movie. I know this scene. That was the scene more, even more than Tinkerbell that seeped into my brain, and I like I remembered it. But it's yeah. punched up by the John Williams score of masterfulness right so at the beautiful. pitch moment it's just like this heartwarming like he's the guy he's the guy and it's coming at a point where you're just like you might be doubting if he's even able to remember but then mm -hmm. someone else does you know aside from like the major players of like tinkerbell and everything but oh i absolutely love that moment that one gets me teary-eyed um, well done well. sir yes but yes yeah. gloriousness excellent I, this is what I love the most about doing this podcast is because this is a movie, like I've said a couple times now, that I haven't seen it since I was a kid and barely remembered it all. But it is so much fun seeing a movie that's been out there through somebody else's eyes and loved it. So mm -hmm. thank you so much. That was yes. a delight and a half. Applause. Beautiful thing. <sighs> Sorry. <clears throat> so, got a little got so, a little cotton mouth from being too gushy there. It's all good. Oh, it was great. Well, that couple, was perfection. 
You know, if if you had to go back through that movie, where would and if somebody has never seen this movie before, Kyle, where would you recommend if they had to go to the bathroom? When would be a good time to go? Oh. <laughs> right, right. Bathroom. Oh, you told me to like remember this, and I was like, oh yeah. Um, and then I got sucked up into the movie again. But it's the <laughs> it's where. So I'm gonna try and remember where I actually went to the bathroom, and where a point is where like. Yeah, you can definitely walk away. Um, I think it's when he's wandering home from the baseball game and then starts to play catch with his shadow again. It's like I would say it's Maggie's song, personally. Oh, yeah, that one's it's it's a little shorter yeah. than you remember it being because as soon as she starts, she's just like, that's off key, please. Please cut away and move along. But it, she just kind of finishes the verse. It's shorter than you remember. But there's okay. it, th- that one part where he's just trying to fly and then the shadow's like, follow me. It's the following part where I'm like, oh. so So let's say this, folks. When Thudbutt throws down the hat, and you'll know what I mean by that, that's when you can go. Yep. When Thudbutt uh, is sad. Get up and Kyle, leave. pick a number between one and eight eighty four. Oh my god! Yeah, uh, that's what I said. Eight eighty four. That's eight eighty four. Biggest yet. Yep. Uh, I'm gonna go with eighty six. Eighty six. We're looking at. Oh, we're in the cast territory. I knew it. <laughs> we are talking about Robert Amico, who is an uncredited pirate. Oh come on, yeah. Robert what Amico. Else has he been in? Let's find out. Because um, he has a headshot, which is more than half the people in this movie. <laughs> um, oh, let's see here. Uh, well, he was additional crew on Ford versus Ferrari. Um, he is still working as an actor right now. Uh, let's see. Chains that bind. Oh, hell, that said Eric Andre show for a second, but no, it did not. Um, Tim and Eric, awesome show. Great job. He oh, was in wow. that for a minute. Um, <laughs> he's acted in a whole bunch of stuff, like like throughout the time of Hook. Um, a lot of movies that I do not know at all. And a lot of short films. Let me see the last couple of years here. Yeah, I don't know any of these. But you know what? Like... I just want to say, Robert, like your contribution to this movie helped make it amazing. And there are a lot of us who just love Hook. So thank you yeah. for yeah. being an uncredited pirate. Because frankly, a lot of people in this movie, if you go to IMDb, did not get credited for it. But we want to give you credit today. Like, thank you for being in Hook, sir. Like, yeah. It was awesome. If you chanted the Hook theme while Dustin Hoffman, like, orchestrated everybody and walked out, I love you for that. Yeah, so thank you, Robert Amico, for being in this movie. And now... All right, now one more time. We need you to pick a number one through three. I've got them arrayed. Arrayed. All right. Say something nice. Oh, that's so hard. (laughs) Uh, Let's go with uh, middle of the road number two. Two. Uh, Could you do me a favor and say something nice about Sucker Punch? The film by Zack Snyder. (laughs) The one Say something nice. Uh, okay, okay. <clears throat> I gotta filter myself here because I. You're just, saying something. This nice. is my go-to anytime because I talk 
movies with a lot of people and they kind of get that, yeah, you like everything. And I'm like, oh, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> Um, harsh critic of when, when I'm taken out of something and uh, Zack Snyder's Sucker Punch makes the top of the list of being dragged into a movie that I was wanting to hate <laughs> when uh, I was nice. in the box office. But something nice about it. Okay, so uh, Zack Snyder gave a lot of good visual direction in that film. So the action looks really nice. But the one thing I can say in particular is I can now see what it looks like for a heroic character to dual wield a melee, which is a katana in this movie, and a side firearm, which I think was just a Glock or something like that she had, and how that would work together in like these crazy action sequences. Um, mm-hmm. That's as much credit as I can give that. Sounds pretty cool. Gotta... Sounds, sounds, sounds <laughs> I mean, that sounds yeah. good. It was, yeah. it was a beautiful... Uh... I mean, that movie had many beautiful sequences in it, but yeah, we'll leave it at that as being something nice that was said about it. <laughs> Last thing, I, I we just want to know, uh, what are you guys watching? What are you guys reading? What what media are you consuming? Yeah, what's, what's Kyle, your what jam media right are you now? consuming? Video games, anything? Uh, well, definitely video games. I'm replaying Fallout 3. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's still good. I love that music. Mm-hmm. So, so I will say one thing about Fallout 3 is uh, my wife's, when her grandfather passed away, I went through his old record collection, and he had an original printing of the Ink Spots. Um, Which track was that? Uh, two of them. It was, I don't want to set the world on fire. That's oh, one. Man. And the other one is, uh, oh, um, well, in the, tra- the teaser for Fallout 4, it's them again. Keep talking. I'm going to grab the record. <laughs> uh, there's the um, Ongo something. I don't want to leave the jungle. Oh, no, 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 no. Bongo, bongo, bongo. I don't want to leave the Congo. Oh, no, 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 no. You're talking more Fallout songs. Yeah. It's just the radio, like, in-game from our actual. I've played just enough Fallout to know that I should know it better. So, so here we very go. Very deep their original hits. Uh... If I didn't care, which was for four. Oh yeah. Uh, then then three was I don't want to set the world on fire and um, maybe maybe you'll ask me to compare. <laughs> That's pretty good. That's pretty good ink spotting. <laughs> okay, so follow three. What else you got going? Um. Well, since it's Christmas time, and this is technically a Christmas movie because it was Hook was like released. If you say Die Hard, I swear to God. In December 11th <laughs> of 91, uh, but it has nothing thematically to do with Christmas at all. I just, I will watch holiday movies around the holiday that kind of like consumes a month. Like I'll, for example, sure. like I'll watch horror movies all Halloween um, and Team America every 4th of July. <laughs> if that makes any sense uh, so as the without a doubt it's family tradition to watch TBS's 24 hours of a Christmas story Christmas story yep. just on repeat um, that's what you go to bed to that's what you wake up and have Christmas breakfast to and uh, unwrap presents to Christmas dinner everything like it's just on the TV all day it's, just on. it's such a good movie Christmas with, uh, you'll have Christmas, Christmas duck, duck to it like yeah yeah <laughs> 
Um, <clears throat> do you guys ever go over like the Rotten Tomatoes scores of these movies that you're we gushing sometimes. about? Sometimes. Well, let's see. We've done UHF. We've done Muppet Treasure Island. We've done Snowpiercer. I think Snowpiercer for sure is the highest rated one. Out of that I group believe. so far, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Moana. Um, Moana's got to be higher than Snowpiercer. It probably close. is. I don't know. I, I think I'm more of a Metacritic person. You're welcome. <laughs> yeah. I, um, <laughs> I, always, I always laugh at Rotten Tomatoes, especially since when it's like a movie that released before there was an internet and a website. And like, how do they compile an aggregate score from back in the day hook is sitting because i wrote this down hook is at 29 percent. well so i'll read you this real quick the sad thing about the screenplay for hook is that it's so correctly titled this whole construction is really nothing more than a hook on which to hang a new version of the peter pan story no effort is made to involve peter's magic in the changed world he now inhabits and little thought has been given to captain hook's extraordinary persistence in wanting to revisit the events of the past the failure in hook is its inability to reimagine the material to find something new fresh or urgent to do with the peter pan myth lacking that spielberg should simply have remade the original story straight for this generation i award you no points and may God have mercy on your soul. That was Roger Ebert. Wow. Yeah. Wow. I wish I could have hung with Roger. Like seriously. Me too. Yeah. Did he I not like... just listen to everything I just said? No, I'm kidding. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My headphones detached, oh. but I could tell how you were enjoying the read through. So I don't have any idea what you guys said. Siskel was the better guy. Um, so yeah, we don't often look at the. Because that's the thing is like what's important to us is like why it's important to you. Yeah. Like I remember being five years old and seeing the commercial for Hook on TV. Like so for me, like this movie will always have that special place in my heart because I was under nine when I saw it for the first time. Um, And I mean, Murph, who was in episode three for UHF, like he hates Hook. I showed it to him in college, and he's just like, "Nope, that was garbage." So, so it's, it's a generational thing. It's a kid thing. But what's important for the purpose of our show is like why it means so much to you. Right. Yeah. You know, absolutely. So, I, so, so screw, well, he, Roger Ebert said it doesn't matter. For, for the record, uh, Snowpiercer is 94% and is 95. Ooh. So. All right. Now, Lit, Nick, what are you, uh, what are you, <laughs> Lick and Nick, what are you uh, watching, greeting, playing today? Um, for reading, I finished a epic fantasy novel called The Way of Kings by Brandon Sanderson. Um, and it was probably one of the best fantasy books I've ever read ever, 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 ever. Um, it was 47 hours of just madness. Like I would say the first 20 hours were like meh, but then like something happens in the middle. It's amazing. So I would recommend that book. If you're a, a fantasy reader at all, that was super, super good. Um, per the, epi- the other episodes, I'm still reading, um, uh, sh- uh, speaker for the dead about 61% nice. of the way through that one. Um, as far as games, I'll say I'm, I'm still horribly addicted to Mario 35. That sucker's way too much fun. Um, <laughs> I finally fought a Walmart employee and won to get Mario Odyssey. So that's exciting. <laughs> nice. Um, nice. It's a great game. I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to it. Um, and then as far as stuff that I'm consuming, uh, still kind of rattle. I think I'm on like the very last of the good episodes of the Simpsons. Um, so yeah. still kind of enjoying that Mandalorian of course was amazing last week. The week um, before though, I, I can't express to you how much seeing Ahsoka live action on screen meant to me. Oh, 
Ugh. Dude, I mean that that episode has so many like Kurosawa moments to oh, it yeah. that I was just straight like, up cinema yeah. heaven. It was bliss. Yeah, I mean this newest one was directed by Robert Rodriguez, so I knew it'd be like super important. Um, so Dave so Filoni did the Ahsoka one too. Yes, that's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I've been enjoying that, and then yeah, I guess that's. Pretty much it. I'm going to start eliminating stuff again because I have a rewrite to do that's due in the next month or so. So I got to get on that. But that's what I'm consuming. Brendan, what are you consuming? So we haven't done games before. I like that. I uh, oh. I just finished up. They added Final Fantasy VIII to Game Pass. So I did my adult oh. playthrough of FF8. Kyle! You don't know. That, you don't know. That, that was that my, my favorite, favorite game, game of as a kid. Time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Oh, oh, yes. <laughs> I, I got on eBay and I bought a used copy of the guidebook just so I could relive my childhood and pour through the guidebook oh. and play through the game. It was great. So I was, yes. I was actively blades, sad yes. when it ended. I was I was a little depressed when I beat the game. And I, I, I've been ranting to my wife about it for the last week about how much that game meant to me. She's tired of it. <laughs> so I did that. We started playing through Control two nights ago. Uh, so that's been fun. Um, okay, yeah. We started, it was just a board game, but we started playing through the, uh, the Jaws of the Lion version of Gloomhaven. That's been a good time. Hmm. TV shows. We're doing the most recent season of Rick and Morty. Now it's on Hulu. Um, we did our annual viewing of Paul Blart Mall Cop 2. <laughs> <laughs> with uh, the Till Death Does Blart podcast uh, commentary track playing. That was great. Yeah, that's, that's, that's the long and the short of it. Yeah. Fantastic. Well, this was an absolute blast, guys. So, Thank you again for being on. Thanks for this having me, guys. Come yeah, back. Dude. That was a pleasure, oh, man. Do it again. Oh, I, man. If we, I was thinking, Brendan, if we make offshoots of this show and we do like music gush and video game gush, we'll have Kyle back for FF8 for sure. Sounds oh, great. Totally. Well, well, I might fight you for that one, man. You, I, you want a 17-hour-long recap <laughs> of disc one on there. Yeah, man. That sounds That's like a beautiful. challenge. I No, yeah. I think... Uh, I think when like Nick was talking to me about you guys setting up this podcast, uh, and he's like, "Would you want to do that?" And I was like, "That sounds amazing. I'd love to." And then I was wa- listening back to your first episode, and Nick goes like, "Yeah, someone said they were wanting to do Clue." That was me. That's you. <laughs> oh, okay. I, yes. I right. totally thought about Clue for like the longest. I've time. never seen Clue. Ooh, it's so good. It's all oh, okay. Oh. All right. Look, Let's go. I would like to. I would like to make it official. My next video. I I just with the. I don't know if you saw the news that Alfred Molina's in the next Spider-Man. I need to do Spider-Man too. That that movie is the reason I love movies the way that I do. Like you know, everybody likes movies. That's the reason I love movies. So I want to do Spider-Man too. It's still one of the greatest. It is the second greatest superhero movie of all time, in my opinion. I love it. I love it. I love it. That opened my eyes that you can make pop culture and still have it be deep and impactful and know what you're doing behind a camera. And I love that movie. Yeah. And really beat the hell out of your main character. This has been awesome, you guys. We love having you here, Kyle. We'll definitely do it again. Everybody have a wonderful rest of your week. And we'll see you in the next one. Have a good one, guys. Laters.